Hello, and welcome to Waltrip Unfiltered. It's my first podcast. I'm really thrilled that you're joining me. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and join us every week. We're going to go inside of NASCAR. This weekend, our guest, Matt Benedetto. He led the most laps in the Daytona 500. He was in a position to win late. We'll get Matt's thoughts about the great American race. Not only are we going to review Daytona, we'll preview Atlanta, the big NASCAR triple header down in Georgia this weekend, and we're going to do it right now. Anyone that knows me knows how much I love Daytona. I mean, the Daytona 500 Sunday, it's like Christmas morning to me. Even, even that, I, that I don't compete in anymore, I still have that same emotion, that same energy, and that same excitement about this great event. I've won it, fortunately, a couple of times, which you know maybe you would say, of course he likes it because of that, but, but it's more than that. I'm here at Michael Waltrip Racing, uh, my office is in Cornelius, North Carolina, and alongside my producer Alex is here. How are you? I'm great. I'm excited. Me too, Alex. I'm looking so much forward to this journey. We're going to start right now and who knows where it takes us, but talking about NASCAR is something I'm very passionate about and I'm much looking forward to sharing my insight, uh, introducing NASCAR fans to some guests. Maybe they're drivers, maybe they're crew guys, maybe they're from a different world of sports that have an interest in NASCAR. That's going to be a lot of fun to do. and. Just talk about Daytona right now. Daytona is the best place in the world to me. And when that race starts, the adrenaline, the way it feels, and I'm not talking when I'm behind the wheel. <laughs> I'm talking about when I'm working on Fox and watching the race. It's just such a, a thrilling spectacle. And my love for that sport, that place, this sport, it started back in Kentucky when I was 12 years old. My mom and dad would come down to Stanley Elementary School. They'd have the family sedan loaded down, and they'd come into the principal's office and say, we want to get Michael out of class, and off to Daytona we went. We would drive through the night from Kentucky down to Daytona just to be there for the qualifying races on Thursday. And I remember when we'd get to the hotel, it'd be 6, 5, 6 in the morning, and we'd get breakfast, and the Daytona Beach Journal news journal had pictures of race cars colored pictures in a newspaper and they didn't have that in Kentucky and that was really one of the things I looked most forward to to go down there and see the news in the in the paper and and look at all the beautiful pictures and then when we get to the racetrack I'm, I'm not I'm, I'm not making this up this is a vivid memory of mine I could not wait to go through that tunnel and as I was going through that tunnel I would be on the edge of my seat looking around the corner because I wanted to see those bank turns. I'd never seen anything like that. The little tracks in Kentucky, they didn't have that. And I'd never been anywhere else really for a NASCAR race. And those banks just intrigued me. I couldn't believe that someone, Bill France Sr., had, had the foresight to, to say, we're going to bank the turns like this and we're going to race stock cars around it. And my passion, my energy started for that event in the, in the mid-70s, watching my brother fight so hard to, to try to get his first win in the Daytona 500, uh, living that life, you know, living, living, going to the races, watching him struggle and try so hard to, to win Daytona, and it never happened. Um, and then my first time to go down there to drive. You know, it was, it was in the 
early 80s. I, rem I never will forget how nervous I was to get in my car and go out on that big track because I'd been looking at it for 10 years and wanting to be out there. And I was finally going to get my chance. And I was driving a Darlington Dash Series car. And it was, it was uh, a Chevrolet Cavalier, I think. And it, it was number 33. And it was, it was the fastest car in town. I mean, I, I sat on the pole for a, by like four miles an hour. My car was, was so fast. But I remember my first lap on the track. I came off turn two. And I looked down that back straightaway. And I said, you got to be kidding. I mean, that's a that's the longest place I've ever seen. I've never seen anything quite like this. And then I remember when I got to turn three, I was so nervous, I tried to put on my turn signal because, you know, I hadn't been driving for long. And, and uh, obviously I got over that. I sat on the pole and I didn't win the race. However, we had a mechanical problem. But my first trip to Daytona was memorable because of the, 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 the ability to get out there and be on that racetrack. And then I talked about Daryl never winning. It was all the way um, until 89 when he won. And I raced in the event in the Great American Race four or five times as he was pursuing his first win in the race. So I knew how much it meant to him when he got that checkered flag. And then probably my favorite memory of, of Daytona was when Dale won in 98. And, and he had been trying so hard and, and been frustrated so many times. And, and he wins the race. And every crew member on pit road came out on pit road to congratulate him and to tell him tell him awesome job and to high five him and and just to experience that that just tells you the respect and the love that people had for day for dale but also how they knew how much it meant to him to be able to win in daytona to get that harley j earl trophy um, so my love for the place and the reason why i'm so passionate about going to daytona and being a part of Daytona is those memories. That was all things that happened that didn't really involve me, but they were special to me because I knew how much Daytona meant to them. And um, when I was able to win it in 01, that was a, that was a crazy day. It, it, I thought it was the best day ever, and it turned out to be one of the most difficult days of my whole life. I don't know if, if you, you read my book, Alex, did you? I did read the book. That's, that's sort of what my book was about. It, it was written in 2011, 10 years after uh, the 2001 crash and, and, and when. And it made the New York Times bestseller list, which I'm really proud of. There's an English teacher somewhere in Kentucky that said, he did what? But I was able to write a New York Times bestseller. And, and I talk about emotions and, and what that day meant and what it, what it did to me. So I think that human beings are designed to handle the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. That's the way God made us. But handling and having those highest of highs and lowest of lows within seconds of each other, it's, it's really hard to deal with. And it still is today. And, and that just makes Daytona mean more to me because of the, the, the love and the memory I have of, of doing what Dale told me I was going to do go out there and win the race, and we were able to do just that. And, and I'm glad it still hurts, by the way, because, because it hurts, it means I still miss Dale, and I, I still vividly remember that day and how difficult it was. We were able to come back a couple years later and, and win another Daytona 500, and then 
in 2005, I thought I had the fastest car. I thought I was going to win my third Daytona 500, and we had a, an engine issue late in the race. But those are probably the three days of Daytona that stick out the most to me, the two that I won and the one that I thought I should have and I didn't get the chance to. But uh, that's, that's Daytona, right? You, you love the highs and, and you hate the lows, but it just makes you want it that much, that much worse. So my, my history from Daytona goes well back into the 70s. Our guest today, Matt DiBenedetto, was born in 1991. So I'm gonna be interested to talk to him about his memories as a kid. He grew up in California. You know, what was his memories as a, of, as a kid of the Great American Race and the Daytona International Speedway? It'd be fun to talk to Matt about that. He's a very energetic, fun guy. Loves to go to the gym and work out. I had him on the grid walk Sunday, and J.J. Watt and I walked up, and I said, Matt, uh, you're, you're, you're a gym guy. You know, you like to go to the gym. What, how bad do you think he'd beat you up if he just decided to? Matt said, well, you have to catch me first. And I said, I don't think that's going to be a problem either. He's actually pretty fast. But it'll be fun to get Matt's memories and, and his takeaway from a kid growing up in California to being the star of the show for, for most of the day in Daytona. I can't wait to talk to him about it. One nice surprise, Matt DiBenedetto going for the lead at Daytona. <laughs> I'm really impressed with the job that Matt DiBenedetto has been doing in his 95 car. Leading the field, Matt DiBenedetto. Well, this is it, our eagerly anticipated first guest, and we've got Matt DiBenedetto. Thank you, buddy, for coming by. Absolutely. I'm, I'm honored. I'm ah. the first one. I'm honored that you came as well. We're here at Michael Waltrip Racing, and uh, you said it's a pretty big building for a small set we've got here, so... Um, thanks for coming and making your way back here to us. Yeah, for sure. We've we've got a lot of room. Yeah, a lot of room. We've we got room to grow <laughs> yeah, our podcast a lot. Yeah. So uh, I was just talking to the to the folks that subscribed uh, via their favorite podcast app. So I just was talking to them about my love, my passion for Daytona and where it comes from. You know, when I was a kid growing up in Kentucky, I'd I'd come to Daytona to watch the races ever since I was twelve years old. But I'm really curious. You grew up in California. What are your first memories of the Daytona 500? Um, man, you know, I was watching it when I was seven years old. So 98? Years. Yeah. That's yep. the year Dale won his first race. Yeah. So uh, my favorite memory when I was young was that I always remember I'll be stuck in my head for forever was when he drove down pit lane. Yeah. I was young. I was really young. But all I can remember was him driving down pit lane and high fives all down pit road, and I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. I think it is, too. It's yeah. one of my favorite memories of the 500. It just yeah. tells you, and, and I was explaining earlier, and I appreciate you saying that, it just tells you how much Daytona means. People knew how hard Dale had tried and how close he had been, and he wasn't able to get the victory. Leading on the last lap in 1990 when his tire went flat, I don't know if you remember that because I don't think you were born yet. Uh, no, one year later. Yeah, I, was, like yeah, I wasn't quite. Maybe I was just thought of at oh, that time. Yeah. <laughs> maybe a twinkle in someone's eye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You were. Um, but, but to see what, what Daytona means, I thought that was a great example of it. Yep. No, that was cool. That was, that was a special day that I, I'll always remember because, yeah, he tried so hard for so long and you could tell uh, everybody was rooting for him including me little uh what was i seven eight year old five six seven eight year old me yeah and and that was grass valley california now i have yeah. memories of grass valley where you grew up i raced it's a dirt track right yeah they had a dirt track out there it, it had a big do you remember it no i i hadn't 
I hadn't been there because I don't know the status of it when I was growing up. I think it was, I don't know if it was in existence. I still. probably raced there in in the late 80s or early 90s, and that's the last I remember of it. But yep. it had a big sweeping front straightaway, which was that's the most, I don't know why I remember that. I was hoping you would say, no, it doesn't, Mike. But <laughs> well, you like can it. make up whatever you want now. <laughs> so anyway, Matt, it had a big sweeping front straightaway, <laughs> yeah. and it was, a, it was a great dirt track to race on. So I know you, you, you uh, grew up. In California, you wound up coming to North Carolina, and, and at the age of 16, where you signed as a Joe Gibbs development driver? Uh, yeah, I was 16, 16 is when I got signed, then when I was 17, yeah, I was racing Kane and stuff for him, and then 18 made my first, uh, no, maybe it was 17 and 18, 17 I got signed. How did you, how did you get from the, the, the eight-year-old kid watching the Daytona 500 to being signed by Joe Gibbs? What was your history? How did that happen? Oh, well, it's crazy because none of my I always tell everybody I laugh I'm like I must be adopted and my parents start telling me because my family had never watched NASCAR day in their lives uh you know weren't really into racing my dad had you know he drag raced a little bit but and liked cars but that's about it so I guess that's where I get it but he was flipping through the channels passed by NASCAR I made him watch it every single week religiously and uh his quote the first time was what the hell do you want to watch that for and but then it became our thing and then you know he i made him become a fan of it too then it was our thing every week we loved yeah. it and we loved watching nascar and became fans but anyways started racing go-karts local dirt track because a friend i played baseball with found out i loved racing so went to cycle and speedway that's where me and larson grew up racing and we just did it for fun and it was always for fun it was actually other people telling us more like hey you need to pursue this you're you know matt's winning everything you guys need to pursue it move to north carolina racing's big out there and and then we were naive enough to be like, yeah, let's move across country. Like, we can totally do this. And then we get here and like, oh, this is hard and this is expensive. Yeah. And it got, it got tough. So it was tough on our family. And we got to the point where it was really tough on our family. I had to quit, sell everything. And I got uh, opportunities and late models from other, uh, another team that found out we quit and sold everything. And they had much better stuff than we did. So they were like, hey, we'll put Matt in some big races. We want one one Bristol, one like the first three out of five. I was like, oh, this good equipment's nice. Yeah. We're fast. Yeah. And um, that's, long story short, how I got with uh, Gibbs was we raced against them at Hickory Motor Speedway and beat them for the championship, and they thought it was cool, kept in touch, and J.D. was a big impact in my career. Yeah. JB, J.D. has been talked about so much the last week, and, and people, people I don't think really knew what a special – guy he was and what a heart he had and and I I knew that that you definitely were were friends with him and you 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 knew what kind of guy he was yeah I got to I'd stop in his office every single week just to chat because I just liked him I was like this man JD is such a cool guy and he, he taught me more about you know aside from racing stuff he was just a guy you look up to and taught me more about being a good person than than anything and and I thought it was cool actually at his uh his service they did a such a cool job of explaining who he was as a person. And one thing, I don't know why this one stuck out to me the most, but it, it described him was when he was in, like when he was in school in high, in high school, obviously he's a popular guy. I don't know how he couldn't like JD, but um, even though he's a really popular guy, he would go and sit at tables and sit at different tables at lunch and stuff with kids that probably weren't so popular and make them feel important. And, and I was like, man, that's, that's pretty special. That's that's the JD I know. Yeah, and that that kind of life lesson that you got it, it lives with you forever. 
and it makes you want to be a better person. And that's the guy JD was. You would be with yep. him for for a bit, and and just just like the story you just told, it's something that it'll make you think twice before before you make a decision either one direction or the other. And I love that about him. Yep. Yeah, it's hard. I get I get emotional every time I think about it or talk about that or when I think about that story. But for some reason, that stuck out to me. He was he was a cool guy. I, I miss him miss him bad, but that was cool. Well, we're going to come back to JD in a little bit. I want to I want to get on down the road. Now, you talked about selling all your stuff, getting that opportunity. I know you won the the K&N, some K&N races and top 5 in the championship. And it, it, you know, you would think after moving from California, getting the opportunity to to race great equipment and winning and then getting the chance to to drive for Gibbs and Xfinity, you would have been on your way. But it didn't turn out that way. No, so my path's been pretty unorthodox is the word I like to use. <laughs> I like uh, to use unorganized. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So got the opportunity, and that was amazing. And, I, you know, I, again, I didn't have funding behind me or any of that, so they took me on. I ran about half the season in the K&N uh, series, and we led the most laps of the year and, and won two races. Should have been three, but we won't get into yeah. that. <laughs> but... But, uh, yeah, so I had lots of success. Then I ran my first Xfinity race at Memphis, qualified third or fourth, um, and was running second whole race. Had some troubles. We got hit on pit road and had to go back, drive through the field, got back to six, had this great day, like just driving through the field super fast, um, and then got collected in Edwards and Keselowski's deal at the end of the race. Yeah. And uh, But either way, they were like, wow, it was a great day. And I was like, I just wanted to win. You know, and I didn't know any better. I'm just a young, naive kid. Didn't realize, like, wow, we were actually pretty fast. But then um, the next year, I got a pretty good reality check of, uh, I think I was just in over my head at the time, to be honest with you. I had the driving ability. I can get anything and go fast, but I mentally just wasn't prepared. I hopped in, and we had, gosh, we had bad luck, too. We'd have some speed, but, man, I just didn't. I'd never done a pit stop in my life. I was so, I went from part-time late models, part-time K&N, and straight to, Xfinity and didn't realize how tough it is yeah. at this level and uh, just made rookie mistakes and I only had six races for the whole year so mm -hmm. all the pressure's on all right you're in a car once every two months but that's all they could do I didn't have funding and they're put doing their best to put me in the car at a time when the economy was really tough everything it was just tough timing and uh, got the six races and uh, we had a couple top tens but could have done if I were to do it over again oh my gosh their stuff is so fast <laughs> we could destroy the field um yeah, so it just uh, didn't work out and had to go a different path about it. Well, it builds character when you when you stumble. Uh, you don't lose until you quit, and you're obviously not a quitter, and you've fought through a lot. And I was fortunate enough, I think it was, was it last spring at Vegas when I just wanted to come find you because I liked what you were doing? And I said, I want to talk about your team. And you said, well, we don't, we're a small team. There's not yeah. many of us. But yep. that, that opportunity and, and the job you did last year enabled you to or I won't say enabled you to, but I think it, did it give you the confidence to say, I want to, I'm not returning to this team. I want to, I want to, I'm going to see if there's anything better and if there's more, more funding, better cars out there that I might could drive. Was your confidence, is that what led you to make that decision? Yeah. So my whole life, that's, this is all I've done. That's my only dream and desire was I want to win, win cup races. And, and that was it. So, well, after the Gibbs stuff, you know, all that happened and I had to go a different path. It was the best thing that could have ever happened to me, regardless of the situation, because it made me a way better driver because I had to 
realize like, oh, this is how these small teams operate. And oh, wow, we don't have many people. You got to work together. You got to be a great team player and you got to make the absolute most of your stuff every single week in every racetrack. And it also made you more determined, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Because you're like, I'm going to, I said I was going to be a cup winner and I am. Yep. Yep. So I, so I made, it taught me to make the most of my stuff and everywhere I went, we'd get the best finishes and the team's existence. And it wasn't just so I can come make some miracles out of race cars just because I, I'm determined and I'm going to make everyone around me determined and we're all together going to get the most out of that dang race car and the race team. And I do it everywhere I go. This is all I live for. All I do. My wife understands and she's awesome about it, but it's all I think about, eat, sleep, breathe. So I do that everywhere and got the opportunity to you know, run the Xfinity Series and got to actually start racing a car full time for TMG. Did the same thing there. Got all their you know, best finishes. That was fun. Then went to BK Racing, got to run Cup full time and that was amazing. Same deal, took that car to, you know, we finished sixth at Bristol, a bunch of really good things and all their best finishes, then the go fast deal. But then getting to what you're saying, yeah, it, then I learned to start putting my races together right and really being a well-rounded driver, make the most of my stuff and make the most of our races. And then I felt like I just kind of accomplished everything I could at that level. And that's where it led to my decision. Yeah, and the decision was bold. And it obviously worked out. And, and It was scary. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you've got a great ride. You go to Daytona. And and did you did you imagine it could be so good? It was, you had the most laps. You were so close. Did you did you dream that you, you, you would run that well and have that opportunity? Yeah. I mean, man, I have visions in my head all the time of like, I can I can like see you winning a cup race. I I just know it's gonna happen. But uh, yeah, about Daytona though, first race in the '95, having Toyota behind me 100%. Everything was just it was overwhelming how much support I had from everybody. Even Gibbs, Joe Gibbs Racing, they had to be behind it. Toyota had to be behind it. LFR, Procore, Dumont Jets, every single person had to be behind this decision. So all the stars aligned, got the deal, and we went to Daytona. And I didn't really know what to expect. It was a lot of work for the team, a lot of change. And we went down there, and Mike Wheeler's our crew chief, so yes. obviously he helps a lot. Yes. He's good he's and Not, not only a great crew chief, but a great guy. Too. Oh, he's I'm glad y'all are together. He is. He's the best, and so we, uh, he's a big part of our team and operation. But went down there, I was like, and then the duels, I was like, man, this car, motor, runs pretty good, pretty fast. <laughs> I can keep up, so, baby. Yeah. So we finished fourth, and after I was like, okay, I can race with this. And then uh, Wheels was like, Hey, we got a little more room to go. We can lower the back down some more. We can trim it out a little bit more. We got some room. I was like, cool. It'll, I was that's all. Awesome. I was like, yeah, a little more speed be good. Well, turns out we made some changes that had a lot more speed. And then uh, come Sunday, we're driving <laughs> to the front and leading. I was like, this thing is fast. This is uh, quite the change. Yeah, and you know, just racing at the end, you got the wrong bump draft at the wrong time, and in that huge crash and. Such dramatic shots from our Fox Sports camera of sparks and smoke. And what's what was that like for you? I've been in wrecks before, but I don't think they ever looked that crazy. That one looked like the whole track was on fire. It looked like, oh, it looked like chaos. Jeez, I felt like my car spun around a hundred times and got hit from every which way. And I literally, all I see from windshield is just, I just take my hands off the wheel real quick and kind of brace up, which probably isn't good, but... Uh, all I see is sparks and smoke out my windshield and cars flying everywhere. I was like, ooh, I don't know how many cars this collected, but it's a handful. <laughs> or maybe well, a good bit of the field. Yeah, half the field. I think 21 guys Whew. got in that crash, and it ended your dreams of, of winning the Daytona 500. But uh, what a great day it was, and I think, I think it's so cool for LFR and your sponsors 
that, that you left there with your head up. You got crashed, you know, and you, you left there saying this, is, this was a great day for us. And, and then I looked on your, your Twitter just to see what you're up to and your, your story about how JD helped you and how special it was for you to be a part of that Toyota Brigade uh, honoring JD and running up front. I thought it said the world about who you are as a person. Well, thank you. That was cool. It was just, uh, all that was way above me. You know, it was, it was just a cool day and cool to be a part of that. And you could tell, you knew he was looking down on, on us. And I even thought about it during the race at, at some point, I was like, man, I know he's proud of this effort right now. All these Toyotas, all the Gibbs cars were all together and leading this train and running down the Fords and everybody. It was, uh, cool. But yeah, like you said, though, at the end of the day, I was, I mean, of course I was sad and disappointed. As soon as I got wrecked, I was like uh, devastated, but also I know it's the great American race. Everybody's you not going to hold anything back. Anything can happen. You could be leading off turn four, come to the checkered and get turned. Yeah. So ask just... Eric Amarillo that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you never know. You never know. You almost made it to turn four. It was <laughs> turn three. But... Yep. So I, uh, so that was, what I was proud of is how we raced, though. Yeah. It, I'm, it wasn't like a deal where we rode in the back and hung out and waited for attrition, and then we got a good finish. We you raced went. up front, and right. we were fast and led the most laps and, and raced well, and it was a good, it was encouraging for the whole team. I think so as well. Uh, we talked about reviewing Daytona. I think we've done a nice job there. Uh, now I'd like to preview Atlanta, and what a what a what a perfect opportunity for me to do that. You've been. You went to the Vegas test, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you went out there and drove the, the cars with the new aero rules. One one rule we have here at Waltrip Unfiltered, we don't use the P word. So you won't hear us say package. Oh, okay. So we just say the new aero rules. Okay. Because everybody aero. says package. That's Yeah, we need to be different. I like yeah. the aero rules. I, mean, I like that. Yeah. Whatever it is, uh, power aero. What did you, what was your, I wanted to be at Vegas. I wanted to see that. I, I love innovation. I love when when Marcus Smith made the Roval, you know, just something, oh, yeah. something new, different. I love the rules we ran in, in the All-Star race last year. This is a hybrid, I guess, of, of those rules. What was your takeaway from, from the Vegas test? Uh, I took away that restarts are going to be crazy. Uh, that's all I could think about was you got to make up a lot of spots on restarts because cars don't have a lot of power, kind of like Daytona, Talladega. Um, so you really, that's your opportunity to put it when, when else are you going to make up, you know, three, four five spots in a whack. So restarts will be nuts. Cause you're going to want to, you know, get good position. And then after that, um, you know, it's weird. It's driving down straightaway. It's, it feels so slow. Then you get to the corner and it feels like you pick up 40 yes. miles an hour. Cause you got so much grip. You got big spoiler, big splitter. So you're like, then just hanging on through the corner, monster grip. It's funny you say that because I went and did a test at Chicago in a truck. And it was 2004 and I was going to drive this all-star truck. And I went out on the track and I'd never driven a truck on a track like that. And so I go out and I go down the straightaway and I, I get to the turn and, and I don't let off. And it's going way faster. It felt like yeah. you, you just feel like you speed up. It, yep. it freaked me out for the first few laps when doing so. And I guess that's that's going to be what you're – and plus you're going to have to use the draft, right, to, in order to try to be able to make some of those moves. You think that'll work? Yeah, so it was, it was totally different. And it, I had to retrain a lot of my thinking. And I actually messed us up at the test, I'll be honest. I, I led us a little in the wrong direction on the last day because you're so accustomed, like – 
I'm thinking, no, this thing, and each track will be different. Atlanta can be totally different, but Vegas has a lot of grip. So I'm like, no, 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 long run, I think the tires will wear out and blow up enough where you'll need the downforce right. in the car and you'll need it to be like set up geared more toward handling instead of trimmed out for speed. And uh, so we geared it more toward that way and a lot of other people geared it toward the other way. And the last like simulated race, I'm wide open and I'm like, Oh no! They're oh, they're away. driving away. <laughs> they're away from you. I was like, came in like, nope, sorry guys, that was totally wrong, and we learned. But yeah, so it's gonna be a lot of like thinking instead of just like let's get this thing handling as good as it can and and put as much downforce in it. It's gonna be like, okay, do we want it to be trimmed out, geared more towards handling? Is there a happy medium? So there's a lot more to think of that's gonna be weird for us. Well, out there you had the Fords and the Chevys and the Toyotas. I'm just curious, did you see any any guy that you felt like was was better than the rest? Who who were your favorites leaving that test? I heard Jimmy was good, but then I heard Brad was, I don't know. What, what was your takeaway from just studying the data like I know you did? I think Brad was fast, um, and he'd get up there and lead. I think they really, I don't know, just by being a spectator, I think they trimmed the car out quite a bit and went that direction. Uh, I actually thought Kyle was the best. Um, I thought he could make the most moves of everybody. He could drive through the field the most um, in his car, I'd go over to him and I'd see him and he, when I messed ours up and went the other direction. Yeah. Um, but I saw him like driving through the field and actually was making some pretty good moves and we'd get up there to the front and he'd almost win, you know, all of the little simulator races. I go over to him thinking he's going to be like, you know, yeah, the car was pretty good. I'm like, how was it? He's like, loose. <laughs> so that told you a little bit about your car, right? <laughs> yeah. So, but it, it was kind of weird. It was almost the way you had to drive him. You had to drive him off the right rear. So you have right. to have him kind of free right on the edge and it's so uncomfortable to drive because you got all that downforce so you got a whole bunch of grip and then if you lose all the grip it just snaps and you're gone so it was man we do like 20 lap races or whatever and i was like my right arm felt like i worked like a hundred thousand tricep Speaking extensions all your at once right arm damn <laughs> that thing looks big yeah. you, you like to hit the gym right yeah my legs are really sore right now ah, yeah. you, did you did you get a look at jj watt on the grid walk and say you know I think I could take that guy. No, I, you know, I thought I'm glad that I don't have to go up against this guy because if he caught up to me, yeah. I'd be in big trouble. Yeah, and I got I got some news for you. He's probably going to catch up to you too. <laughs> yeah. yeah haul. Not only is he really big, but he's fast. So yes. that's what I always, not to get on a random subject, but I always laugh about when people think like, oh yeah, I could, I could play in the NFL right. or oh, I could drive a race car. Then you like actually see this guy like, oh, oh, so you could just, yeah, go up against J.J. Watt. No big deal. Yeah, he, I'm sure you could go right up head to head with him. But you see, that's why people don't, and, and that's why I've enjoyed having you so much today. You've told me so much about what we're going to see at Atlanta, at Vegas, and the driver's mentality. That I learned from that. That makes me happy. But then you also tell the fans that you're going to be on the edge of your seat, and you're going to be working your butt off trying to hang on to it and using that balance. I think that's going to make for great TV. And then the, the other takeaway from that was people think they can race a car because they drive to, to Walmart or they go down <laughs> to the gas station and they drive their car. And they know they can't play football because they see their kids try to do it and they see how hard it is. I just don't think people really appreciate the athleticism and, and the, the what it takes to be a successful NASCAR driver. And you talked about mentally being a student of the game, obviously physically, you've taken that to a new level too, just to make sure. I always, I ran four marathons when I was your age, getting ready to be a, you know, wanting to be a race car driver. 
because I wanted to prove to people I didn't know they might outrun me, but they weren't going to outlast me. That was yep. one thing for sure. And it looks like that's your mentality as well. Yeah, I, the workout stuff I do is primarily CrossFit, but um, and I do some of my own work aside from that extra. But uh, it's all at our place, CrossFit Catawba Valley in, in Hickory. Um, Are you but saying you know that's what? probably where I should go? Maybe. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. Did you get? I'm kind of falling out of shape. Come, come, come with me. <laughs> I, I'm not <laughs> bikini ready right now. Just tell you that. But it, it actually helps me mentally as much as yes. anything, aside from being in much better shape and I enjoy doing it. But man, when you go in there and you like go to death every day and do things that you're not comfortable with on a daily basis, I find like situations don't bother you as much. Or if you're put under your body's put under stress, it just doesn't mentally bother right. you as much. So I was like, oh, I never thought of how important the mental aspect is. Yes. Well, that's why I ran because I wanted to mentally think that I was you know, tougher than everybody. Yeah. Yep. That's it. That's I wasn't, part. but I, I convinced myself I was. That's all that matters. You think so in your head. You're good. I appreciate you so much coming and being our first guest. <laughs> thanks, was, man. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Absolutely. Well, that's a wrap on the first Waltrip Unfiltered. Thanks to Matt DiMenedetto for coming and being our guest. He's uh, such a, such a fun young man passionate about his sport, all in, and to see that car running up front and then hearing the story of how he got to that point. You know, if you think about it, he was the big story from the Daytona 500, and I don't think a lot of people at home know what all went on to Matt being in the position he was to win that race late in the going and, and how much J.D. Gibbs meant to him, the personal story between those two as well. So really, really great first guest. He, he was awesome. We were able to talk about Atlanta, and that's what we're going to talk about on our next podcast is what the racing looked like at Atlanta. And according to Matt, it's going to be crazy. The restarts are going to be wild. Drafting's going to be a part of it, and guys are going to be on the edge of control trying to balance downforce and drag and understand all those things. And I will dive in deeper to that subject after the race next week in Atlanta because I want to, I'm eagerly anticipating what the racing is going to look like on that mile and a half track. So be sure to subscribe and listen to us via your favorite podcast app and make sure that you tell your friends that Waltrip Unfiltered takes you inside of NASCAR. This is Michael Waltrip reporting.